0: If you would, open with me to Psalm 67, Psalm 67, and if you're using a pew Bible, you'll find that on page 506, 506. You're already singing really well this morning, but hopefully this Psalm will help us live that as we, as we continue to think and we, and we, and we leave here today. Let's pray for God's help. Our Father, we confess our need for you now. We, we, we need you to open your word to us. Lord, there's distractions that call for our minds. Our hearts are full of all kinds of concerns, questions, worries. And yet, Lord, what we need more than anything is to hear from you. And so, God, as we, as we open your word, we pray that you would help us. Help me to speak. Help us to hear. Lord, we pray that Jesus would be king. In his name, amen. Well, perhaps you are like me, and sometimes you struggle to say some very Christian words. God bless you. Sometimes I struggle with that because I think, well, what do I mean by that? What do they hear by that? Do they hear prosperity gospel? Do they hear me wishing that they'd be rich? Do they hear me wishing that they'd be healthy? Do they hear that I hope that they will come to repentance and faith and put their faith in Jesus and have their souls transformed and find their eternal destiny in heaven? (laughs) What do people hear when they say that? Well, it's actually a very biblical phrase, and it has a lot in it. And this psalm helps us to kind of grasp that and fill in this big idea of the blessing of God. If you take notes, uh, there's one thing that we want to try to drive home and walk out of here this morning in our hearts, and it's this truth that God blesses us for the joy of the whole earth. God blesses us for the joy of the whole earth. Now, to help us hopefully apply that, we have, we have three, three things. We need to pray for God's blessing on his church. We need to pray for God's blessing on his church. This is verse 1. So if you take notes, that's the first first thing we'll think about. The second thing is that we need to discover what blessing is for. Discover what blessing is for. This is verses 2 to 5. So we want to pray for God's blessing on his church, and we want to discover what blessing is for. And then at the very end, we'll make some brief application to think about how we need to recognize God's answer to our prayers. Recognize God's answer to our prayers. This is verses 6 and 7. Now before we get into this, let me just show you the the psalm real quick and try to orient you, orient us all around the the, the structure that's that's here. The psalm is organized very simply. Verses 1 and 2 have a prayer for God's blessing that's matched by verses 6 and 7. So if you just scan the psalm real quick and you just look at verses 1 and 2, and then you you, you scan down in verses 6 and 7, you'll see that those two match each other. There's a few slight different words, but one is a prayer, the other one is sort of the answer to that prayer. Then in the middle, verses 3 and 5 repeat the exact same refrain... That tells us the goal of the blessing of God. Do you see it? It says says that all nations would experience the joy and blessing of God. And then right in the middle is verse 4. And verse 4 is what gives us the reason all the nations should rejoice. The whole earth should rejoice. And verse 4 is telling us why. So real simple outline, real simple structure. And that will help you kind of orient yourself around this. So let's think about what God wants us to do in terms of praying for God's blessing for his church. Look at verse 1 again. May God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his face shine upon us. Verse 1 heavily relies on what's known as the priestly blessing or benediction. It's found in number 6. It's what we read and we recited earlier uh, in, in, in in our gathering this morning. And that blessing was given by the Lord to Aaron and his sons to be pronounced over the people of Israel by a priest. So it wasn't just any, any old saying. Uh, it's, it's not an um, Irish blessing, as uh, Jonathan uh, was pointing out earlier to me. Uh, this, is, this is the Lord's command to his priests that as they minister in the temple... And as people come with their sins and their sacrifice, and they they make the offerings that God requires, that in response to what God has called them to do, and as they fulfill that, the priest blessed them with the name of Yahweh. Over them, he would pronounce the name of Yahweh and all that comes with God's presence and God's name. So the blessing asks that God would bless the, the worshiper, That that God would be gracious to the worshiper. And that he would cause his face to shine on the worshiper. It's a beautiful, beautiful blessing. And as Jonathan pointed out, we can embrace that if you're in Christ. If you belong to Jesus through faith, then that blessing comes to us as a reality. Our Passover lamb, Jesus of Nazareth, has been sacrificed. His blood has been shed, and His blood covers the sins of everyone who repents from their sins and believes in Jesus. So if you leave aside all of the works that you do to try to balance out your life, and you don't try to go to God and say, here's why you should accept me, but instead you admit, I'm a sinner. And, and frankly, God, I don't deserve to be accepted. But because of Jesus' sacrifice, I'm coming on that, on that basis, and the promise that comes with that, that you will forgive me. If you you come to God that way, the priestly blessing is God's response to you. This psalm relies heavily on that blessing. So really, verse 1 is just reappropriating number 6. It's a beautiful announcement that itself is based on the promises to Abraham. So if you know your Bibles a little bit, your mind goes back to Genesis 12. If this is new to you, just jot these down, number 6, Genesis 12, and you can just read those later, and you can follow the, the line as, as it goes through. God said to Abraham, I will bless you, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So God's intention when he first called Abraham was at a time in the world when people had, had were sort of losing contact with Yahweh. They, 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 they had fallen away the the flood had come in, had come and wiped out a whole generation of people and then and then people had begun to grow again and populate but they're but they're worshipping all kinds of gods and in genesis 11 there's a there's a tower that's being built so that there's a monument to mankind being built so that so that we don't even need god anymore and god disrupts that and calls this man Abraham and to him he says i'm going to bless you and through you all these nations will be blessed as well. So that was God's intention in, in God's promise to Abraham. So as you follow the line and you get to Numbers, he's now grown Abraham's descendants into a people. And, and in their weekly, daily practice of worshiping God, this blessing would fall on them. Well, this prayer, Psalm 67, in this psalm, brings those two great announcements together into a prayer That God would do what he promised to Abraham and spoke through the priests. The priestly blessing had had to be pronounced by a priest. And it was done to individuals as they worshipped the Lord. But you'll notice that this prayer is on our lips. Asking from God his blessing on us. Do you see that? There's There's a change in the object of it. Instead of the Lord bless you, it says may God be gracious to us. So it's reappropriated so that so that his people could sing this and could pray this wherever they go. And they could pray for each other in the same way. The priestly blessing is on us in Christ. Now, through Psalm 67, God's people could pray for the promise of Abraham that the priests announce wherever they were for each other. And it's a reminder that we too should pray for God to cause his church to prosper. We need to pray for ourselves and for others. But what should we pray? Well, pray this. Pray verse 1. Pray, God, our God, be gracious to us, bless us. May you cause your face to shine on us. Pray, r- appropriate these words in your prayer. Our work as Christians and as a church is dependent on God. And if he blesses our work, we will prosper. The gospel of Jesus Christ will go forth. People will come to faith in him. Jesus will be exalted and lives will be transformed. Now, what does it mean to be blessed? Is a common expression. I remember giving thanks at a lunch one day with a friend of mine. And in my prayer, I asked God that he would bless this food. And as soon as we finished, he's laughing at me. And he says, what does that even mean? God bless the food? What What are you talking about? And he kind of he set me back for just a minute. He said, those are just empty religious words that people say. But they aren't. And here's why. The blessing promised to Abraham was both spiritual and physical. When God made that promise to him, he was intervening in his life where he became his God. Abraham was an idol worshiper. He lived in a foreign land. He did not know the name of God. He did not know Yahweh. He was not seeking God. God interrupted his life introduces himself to him. But when he introduces himself to him, he transforms everything. He was intervening in his life to become his God. And when Abraham came to know him, he came to have his sins pardoned. He came to be justified and pronounced righteous in God. He came to be called a son of God. And the proof of it was in the physical blessings of a fruitful nation, a central land, and a name known throughout the world. When I say the name of Abraham in this room, we know who who we're talking about. God fulfilled all of that. Now, this is all part of an Old Testament, Old Covenant missionary enterprise that's more qualified by the term, come and see. So for Abraham, what he wanted to do with Abraham is raise him up, make him into a nation, and he was going to prosper him in a way that outside nations would look on and say, that's what it means to follow God. God blesses the one who knows him. And so in order to do that, to provoke the nations to leave their idols and come to the one true God. That's what he was after. Now that dual focus is present here here too. The grace that we pray for in verse 1 is God's gracious presence of his face turned toward us. And understand this, that, that we have that in Jesus. Remember what Paul says? He says, We we behold the Lord face to face, and we're being transformed as we look at him. We look at him by faith. We look at him through his word. We look at him by meditating on his cross and his resurrection and, and learning his words. And as we embrace him, as we look at him, he changes us. And I think that's the testimony of everyone in here who knows Christ. But there's more to it than that. We we enjoy his grace. And his grace is the other side of mercy. It's like one quarter with a heads and a tails on both sides. On one side is, is the mercy. Mercy is when we don't get what we deserve. We deserve God's wrath for our sins, but in Christ, he takes it away by laying his life down on the cross. And the and the wrath of God falls on him, and mercy falls on us. But it's it's even better. Because the other side of the quarter is God's grace. And this is is his riches of kindness. This is not just him saying, okay, I'll pardon you. This is when God says, I will pardon you and be with you. I I will put my spirit in you. I will give you the joy of knowing me. I will fill your life up with the purpose of God. God's grace comes in its fullness. And as a result, people generally prosper. Verse 6 points to the physical gifts from God's benevolence. Just look down there. Right here in our, in our passage, verse 6 says, The earth has produced its harvest. Now you might find it seems a little bit out of, out of place in, in some ways. As you read this psalm, There's nothing here that's really physical. There's nothing about, like, harvest season or work or anything like that. Instead, it's it's all about the nations and God's grace and his blessing. But then here in verse 6, all of a sudden it's talking about harvest. We'll come to that in a minute. But but just note this for right now. that, that This is a physical manifestation of God's presence in Israel. His blessing through his presence on his people. The fact is, is that we live as physical people in a physical world and we need God's good gifts in life. We need them. And in fact, God promises to me all of our needs as we pursue him. What did Jesus say? He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. All the things that you need in life, the relationships you need, the support you need, the, 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 the money to pay your rent, <laughs> The, the, the car to get to work, the job to, to earn a living. All of those things come in God's gifts as we seek his kingdom. He calls us as believers in Christ to seek that first, and then he'll provide everything we need. Rather than, as the world does it, the world chases all of those things to secure those things. And then perhaps we'll look to God, or, or perhaps we'll look back. But instead, the world, without Christ, is is seeking to establish all the things that God promises. But in Jesus, we have his promise and we have him. So when somebody says, God bless you, ultimately, all of this is packed into those words, whether they realize it or not. A prayer for God's blessing is both spiritual and physical. It's a prayer that God would meet all of our needs, body and soul. Okay, so why do we need to know that? Well, it's important for several reasons. Here's here's just two. Uh, One, it's it's truthfully acknowledging that God is the giver of all good gifts. When you and I pray this prayer of Psalm 67, verse 1, and you say to the Lord, God, be gracious to us. Bless us. Cause your face to shine on us. You are acknowledging that God is the giver of all good gifts, that, that all the things that we need in life, they only come from him. When we pray for God to bless us, we're saying something as much as we are asking something. We're saying that there is one source of life. We're saying that I'm a dependent person. We're saying that we need God, a truth that we must recognize in all things. Remember the famous Proverbs 3, 6? In all your ways acknowledge God, and He will direct your paths. Or think about James 1, 16 and 17. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So if that's true, then the second really important thing that that I think we can think about from this is that the presence of this prayer and its background is evidence of God's intention for all those who come to him through his son Jesus. In other words, God has revealed his intentions to make us whole. This psalm, this prayer, is in the Bible. It's been given by God. So so some of us are sometimes reluctant to ask things from the Lord because we feel like, well, I don't deserve it. And and sure, maybe we don't, but we should still ask. Uh, You you, you might feel unworthy, and, and we are, but we should ask. You might feel like all you ever do is you're just needy and you're always asking God for another need. Well, you should still ask. You should ask God for all of your needs. He's the one that gives it. There's no one else to ask. (laughs) And God is not calling you to be an independent uh, uh, sole propriety of your life. God wants you to be dependent on him. Because he gets you. He gets your heart. He gets you looking at him. So, So don't grow weary in doing that. Listen it tells you God's heart is for us. He doesn't just want to save you. He's not just about eternal life. He's about our whole lives. He's not a stingy giver. He's a generous giver. And that's true for everyone who will come to him by Jesus. What what did Jesus say in John 10, 10? I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. That's what Jesus said. So this means it's okay to ask God to bless you. It's okay to ask God to be gracious to you. You can, in fact, and you should, ask God to shine his face on you. And you can do that all the more boldly as a New Testament Christian, because we know that his face is turned to us because of Jesus. We have his face turned to us. So lean into that. Ask God for that. We all have needs and hopes in this life, and since everything we need comes from him, It is to him that we should direct those hopes and prayers. Now, some of you are on the edge of your seat hoping that I'll qualify that. And so let me qualify it. There's plenty to balance, okay? God is not a divine ATM. He's not Santa Claus. And he has greater purposes than just giving you stuff. Life is passing away and everything in it. This whole world, everything you see is going away. Whatever you possess that you treasure most, it will go away. And so none of these things are are primary in our lives. His promise is not prosperity and health. You will have health troubles. And one day, unless the Lord takes you early uh, by coming back, you will die. There will come a point in your life, at the end of your life, in bad health, you will ask God to heal you, and he will not do that. He won't do it because... Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. But God has also promised more than just hope of eternal life. He promises to be with us personally and to provide for all of our needs. So if you have needs, you should pray that God would be gracious to us. And you should expect that he would answer those according to his will. But pray for both sides of the coin. Okay, so pray that tension. Pray that you would be content, but also... Make your requests known to God. Hold them both out. Be okay with what he says yes to and keep asking for what he has so far said no to or not yet to. But don't be afraid to ask. Now, when he answers, that's when the second thing is we need to think about and we need to discover what blessing is for. Okay, so we're going to bring our needs to God. We're going to pray Psalm 67 verse 1. He's going to answer. We need to know what to do As he answers this broad prayer that we're praying. Look at verse 2. I'm going to read down to verse 5. So that your way may be known on earth. Your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations rejoice and shout for joy. For you judge the peoples with fairness. And lead the nations on earth. Let the peoples praise you God. Let all the peoples praise you. Psalm 67 doesn't, just, doesn't depart from the expanded scope of God's worldwide intentions that he mentioned to Abraham in the beginning and you see throughout all of the Old Testament and the whole trajectory of the Bible. You're going to find that in Revelation chapter 7, there are people from every tribe, tongue, and nation gathered around the throne in the last days. There will be people from every corner of the earth singing the praises of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we know, every knee is going to bow and confess that the Son of God, Jesus of Nazareth, is King. Hallelujah. And His blessing doesn't have a goal of just our own self-interest. Now sometimes our needs, that's all you can see. And so you're just praying about your needs. But what God wants us to see is that our needs and the answer to those needs has a greater scope than just meeting our temporary needs. The way the prayer is corporate in its petition is one way you see that. I pointed this out a minute ago, but notice a difference from number six. In number six, it's the Lord be gracious to you. The Lord cause his face to shine on you. The Lord bless you. But, but here, the scope has been expanded. The Lord blessed us. So already, the promise and the call and the prayer to God is expanding beyond just me. But it, it goes more than that. There, there's another big difference that I think is really insightful here in terms of what God has f- for his plan. The biggest is the name for God is different here than it is in number six. And number six, it's the Lord. If you have, most English translations will translate the name of Yahweh in all caps. So if you you were to look at number six, you'll find that it's Lord, all caps. So Yahweh. Yahweh bless you. That's God's covenant name that he revealed through Moses at Sinai. So as Israel interacted with the Lord, they knew him personally by the name Yahweh. But as we know, Yahweh is the creator. Yahweh is Elohim. Elohim is a title, and that just refers to the creator God. So think Genesis 1. In the beginning, God, Elohim, created. So when the nations are asking, in a pluralistic society, when people are saying, well, how can you say there's only one way to God? The the reason we would say that is because the one God has revealed himself. And so, so it goes both ways. The one God, Elohim, the creator, reveals himself as Yahweh, and then later reveals his son, Jesus. And as we who have come to know Him and have heard of this truth, it goes the other way and, it's, and it retraces it to the nations. And it says, yes, the one that you're searching for, the Creator, it's Jesus. It's Yahweh. And so because the scope of this song has the whole world in view, it's calling all the nations to recognize the Creator as the one we must worship. It uses and appropriates Elohim. It's because the aim of Yahweh's blessing is bigger than just Israel. God never intended to only save the Israelites. He always intended for His the light of His revelation, His countenance to go to the ends of the earth, to the darkest corners. It found you and me. It's for all the nations. Look how the top in verse 1 and the bottom in verse 7 is our God, our God blessing us. But the goal and thrust of the psalm, verses 2 through 5, is all the nations. So surrounded in the it's, it, what's surrounding this, this overall agenda of God is the blessing he has for his people. But the blessing he has for his people has a purpose, a greater purpose beyond us. He has something more than just our gatherings here on Sunday mornings. Look at verse 2. Verse 2 is a clear purpose statement. It's, it's, It's stated really overt. He says, So that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. The purpose of God's blessing on the church is to make His way known to the world. Listen, the goal of God's blessing is always greater than the one blessed. Let me say that again. The goal of God's blessing is always greater than the one blessed. So think about that. Even when you do say to someone, "God bless you," as you say to someone, "God bless you," I hope that you mean, or you will, you will start meaning if you haven't already. But all that God means when He says "bless," and when you wish that for somebody, when you or essentially pray, when you pray that towards someone, you're praying that all that God is would be for them and with them that they would know God they would walk with Him that they would love Him and find hope and forgiveness in Jesus. That's what you're, you're calling for but you're also calling for that to enter into their life and for that person and for everybody they know because the blessing of God is intended beyond just who receives it. This is why selfishness is so ugly because it's so unlike God. It's so unlike God. And it plugs up the flow of grace, humanly speaking. Of course, God has never stopped. He will get all his grace to all his people. But we get plugged up when we're stingy and selfish. It's like the flow of grace, the spigot that God has turned on in the heavenly throne room has been flowing, and it flows like a fire hydrant to us. But we put things around us to stop it, so we keep it all. So unlike him. Church, understand this. The purpose of God's grace to you as an individual and to us as a church is to bless you and so that others would also be blessed by Him, so that others would know Him through you. To know God's way is never just to be aware of it. So, so you'll notice verse 2, he says, that your, that your way may be known on the earth. God certainly doesn't mean that people will just be aware of Him. The, the knowledge of God is intimate knowledge. To know is to enter into it. God's desire is that the nations would enter into faith in Jesus. To know it in the way that we know our own children or that we seek to know our spouse or the way you know your work inside and out. Or perhaps a love that you have, a hobby or a sport and, and and you know all the little intricacies and you just love it and you can't wait to look at it again and get back in it and get your hands dirty again. Those kinds of things, that's knowledge. God wants to be known in the same way by you and by the nations. The way of God is both a pathway and a home. So as a pathway, it's that path that leads to the knowledge of God. It's the way that finds the salvation of the Lord by escaping the counsel of the wicked, the pathway of sinners, and the seed of scoffers that Psalm 1 talks about. And instead, it's the light of the knowledge of God that shines in the darkness of the world, hell-bent against Him. Again, Psalm 1, it's, it's that knowledge that, that, that meditates on his law day and night, that, that ruminates in his word, that just keeps trying to behold Jesus, to be changed by him, to have the light of God shine, and all the darkness of my own heart exposed so that it could be gone. To know the way is a pathway and a home. It's the way that leads to joy everlasting that produces the sounds of rejoicing and singing. Look again at verse 3 and 5. And the fact that it's repeated should should emphasize it to us. If someone is to come into the knowledge of God and know his deliverance and salvation, then verse 3 and 5, let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. And then verse 4, let the nations rejoice and shout for joy. The nations without Christ are missing the joy of praising God like we've been doing this morning. They're absent. Maybe you've been a Christian for so long that, that it's just old hat and we come in here and the, the singing we've enjoyed together is just something we take for granted. We only get to do it once a week. But think about the joy that fills our hearts. And the, the way that that spills out into the fellowship, into the week, as we meet together, as we talk, as we laugh, as we share meals together, as we open up the word, we pray for one another, the overflow of the thanksgiving and joy of God. The world without Christ doesn't have that. All that you and I experience, and some of us are, are thriving in it, and just think about this, there are people all around us who have none of it. They just get up, they go to work, they go back home, they hope to have some sort of joy, some sort of, some sort of taste of happiness this week. Church, that, that should grieve us, as it grieves God. His his heart is for the nations. It's a home because it's at the end of our search for meaning and hope in this life. It's the way. The way is a last path because it's a person, Jesus. The whole world is searching. The whole world, whether they realize it or not, is groping for God in all the things that they're reaching for. And we know Him. Jesus pleaded with the people of His day, saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Verse 4 sits right at the heart of this psalm as the reason for joy to the world. And it's that truth that so many many either don't know or don't acknowledge, but it's fundamentally good news. The reason for the world to rejoice is that God judges with equity, verse 4 says, and he leads the nations on earth. Now think about the description here. This is the reason that's put forward in the middle of the psalm as to why the nation should hear this as joy. Everybody knows that we need governmental uh, rule in the world. We just need it. It's a, it's a fact of life. Whether we like it or not, maybe we admit to that with our teeth gritted, but, but that's, that's just a reality. But what we need, what we want, is a government, a king, that does so according to uprightness. That's what this word is, uprightness or justice. We want rulership that has at its center a standard that really only God can fulfill. We're ultimately looking for God. And all the governments of the world fall short of this, all of them, at all times. But the, the, the hope of the world is to, is to remind the world that God actually, there's somebody behind the failing governments. And it is God himself. And he, whether we see it or not, rules uprightly all the time. Remember what Abraham said, even as he judged Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, will not the Lord, the judge of all the earth, do what is right? And the answer is yes. But he's not just a distant sort of blind, like, like Lady Liberty, blind to justice, God. There's, the, there's another word here, and it's the word lead. This is, this is a word that comes from, from the, the, the realm of shepherding. It, it, it's, 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 it's as though God is describing himself as a shepherd who's present with a flock, and he guides. It's a beautiful image of the equity, the uprightness, the justice of God with a gentle hand of a shepherd. That's God. That's God. These two descriptors tell us not just what will be, but what is now if we had all knowledge. And while we don't, while we don't need to know how and when God does all his judgments, the knowledge that he is in charge is enough to rejoice and to live in peace. What I mean is that this verse gives us a look behind the scenes and it reveals the true course of time and history. Despite what you hear on the news, despite what your phone alerts you to, the truth is, Psalm 67, verse 4, the Lord, God himself, he judges the peoples with fairness and he leads the nations on the earth. So as you, as you watch the news, As you have things that pop up that that contradict this, correct that with Psalm 67, verse 4. And as you do, you'll find that your heart is steadied. This is another way to test to see if you've entered into a saving relationship with Jesus. You have God and the truth of God as the sovereign king who's ruling and reigning and guiding the nations despite what we see. And that steadies you. And it actually brings joy. Joy. You, you, you live and you walk in the joy of the Lord, knowing that he's the one who's guiding all things. And you trust him. I think a lot of pain in the world that, it, that leads to questioning God is, is reasonable. It's very reasonable. When you've experienced a lot of difficulty in your life, when you've been through some severe hardships, and people have wronged you, to ask God why, how, what? But you have to balance that with what God says about his character, his nature, and the reality of his rule. And you have to let those things sit together until you you see God face to face. You can't side with your pain against God. You have to let that pain just sort of sit. You can bring it to God, but you let his rule and his guide come alongside. And what that begins to tell you is that God has reasons. God has purposes. God has a gentle hand, even though at times it feels hard. If you can do that, you will find peace. You will live with the peace that passes understanding. But Christian, let me ask you this. Have you considered that God's graciousness in your life is meant to extend beyond you? Answer this question. What is your prosperity for? What is your prosperity for? you can define that however you want think about the ways you pray think about the needs of your heart the things you long for what's that for perhaps it's the longing for your children maybe it's a relationship you want maybe it is for your spouse maybe it's just just physical needs money or a job maybe maybe it's 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 hope for the future the things that you w- come to mind when we say when i encourage you to pray to god to bless you and be gracious to you What are those things for, if he gives them to you? Are they for freedom? Are they for generational wealth building? Are they for power? You can use things and positions to, to get what you think is needed. Are they for your convenience or comfort? Perhaps it is for some of those things. But Christians must have a deeper, more lasting purpose for prosperity than just those things. Our deeper lasting purpose is the magnification of God and the joy of others. God wants you to use everything He's given you, yes, to be blessed by, to give thanks for, to enjoy richly, but He wants you to turn those into magnifying glasses for the glory of Jesus. Everything, our whole lives. I'm afraid much of our prayers are characterized by that worldly focus James had in mind in James 4 two, When he said, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. So that you may spend it on your pleasures. But church, also beware of that worldliness that dresses up like generosity. Many people have chased wealth in the name of being a great benefactor to others. But at the heart of that desire to be wealthy and to be a great benefactor is really just at its its heart a desire to be the guy or the woman in the center. To be the one that everybody comes to. And everybody says, thank you, you're so good, you're you're so generous to us. You, you, You always make everything happen, thank you. And at the heart is this desire for the self that's dressed up in generosity. Beware of that. Consider this. All that you have and have experienced as good is meant to be given back to the Lord as an extension of his blessing to others. Whatever possessions you have are for his service. This means we cannot wall off our lives from the communities we live in. We have to work to be present in the lives of the people around us. We need eyes to see our neighbors and hearts that make room for them. If you have education, it's to be received with thanksgiving, but then turned out for his service the homes we have, they should be places of ministry, not just places that we retreat to. Even when it comes to our children, these are gifts to be loved and enjoyed and appreciated, but they're arrows to be sharpened, to be shaped, and then shot into the world for the benefit of others. In this post-COVID era of heightened tribalism, question for you is, have you found your way back to the blessing of God that flows out to others? I think we all experience this. We've all, we've all been pushed into a corner, as it were, where we put our, put our guard up. And we're very skeptical of other people. But listen, as Christians, we've got to drop that because we have work to do. We have to get into other people's lives, even if they're the opposite of us. Even if they disagree with everything we stand for. Because they need the joy of the Lord. And so we have to re-enter into the world and let tribalism go. Let me ask you, is your heart broken for those around you who don't yet know his grace? If our hearts are hardened, that's what will keep us from entering into the same thing that God, the vision that God paints here, we we will keep out of it if our hearts are hardened in that way. Okay, really quick. Church, something that will help our hearts is to recognize God's answer to our prayers. Recognize God's answer to our prayers. And there's, there's two ways in this psalm that I think, I think you can just see right off, the, right off the top. The first one is verse 6. That phrase when he said, the earth has produced its harvest, is calling us to just look around and see the blessings that are all around us. We, we have so much already. Now I understand there's needs that we have and I keep encouraging you to pray for those things. But think about the needs that have been met. Sometimes we are blinded to, 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 the, to the blessings that God has already given that are already in our possession because we're so focused on what we don't have. The thing we wanted to achieve. And it's that that's affecting our hearts but what God wants us to see is look around. Look at what you have. Look at what you have had. And, and listen, all of those things in, in, throughout Scripture, and I think even here in verse 6, are, are really just like a down payment of more to come. You may not have the thing you're longing for, but you have so much. It's evidence that God does fulfill the things He says. And so you can, you can hope and you can confidently expect that there's more to come. There's more to come. God's not done. He's not done in your life. He's not done in my life. And he's made all these deposits that we should look at and say, hey, God God has done all of this. He, he's going to get me through this too. And he'll provide. He'll either give what I'm asking or he'll give something better. Or he'll just do something different. Either way, I'm going to be all right. Because I've already got the blessings of God. He's already fulfilled so much of what this prayer is asking for. John Calvin said, As to ourselves, experience shows how slight impressions we have of the providence of God. We no doubt all agree in admitting that the world is governed by the hand of God, but were this truth truth deeply rooted in our hearts? our faith would be distinguished by far greater steadiness and perseverance in surmounting the temptations with which we are heavily assailed in adversity. But when the smallest temptation we, with which we meet with dislodges this doctrine from our minds, it is manifest that we have not yet been truly and in good earnest convinced of this truth. Church, the other really obvious way is the fact that we all sit here. Think about this. This is a prayer that's rooted in a promise made to Abraham some 4,200 years or so ago. 4,200 or so years ago, God said to Abraham, through you, I'm going to bless all the nations. One man. And then around 3,400 or so years ago, God made the priestly blessing. And he said, "As as I'm fulfilling my promise, wherever you are in Israel, bless my people this way. And then somewhere after that, maybe perhaps 3,000 years ago, this psalm written to put this prayer on the lips of his people. And then now here we sit all these years later and the gospel has gone forth. And, and there are churches on every continent of the, of the world except for Antarctica, as far as I know. Because there's no people there. <laughs> and, and the blessing of God through Abraham has been, has been catapulted to the ends of the earth, and it's still going. God has fulfilled this prayer, which should embolden us to pray it all the more. We we should lean into this, pick it up with our lips, and boldly ask God to do these very things. So church, as we leave today, let verse 7 affirm this truth to us. God will bless us. And all the ends of the earth will fear him. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this wonderful truth. And we pray, God, that you would fulfill these things in us. Make us more bold to pray. Make us full of faith when we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.